Greetings, friends, and merry meet. I hope you're sitting comfortably in the circle of a warm, cosy fire, or at least by a warm, cosy radiator. And I trust you have something warm to drink or cool as it strikes your fancy. Today, we are going to be doing our first full recording, and we're going to be opening with the story of the creation of the universe. Now, I'm reading this from Epic Norse Myth and Tales, so it's from the Epic Tales series, and I will be including details, including the ISBN number, uh, in the episode details. So, make sure you're sitting comfortably, and let's get started. In the beginning, before there was anything at all, there was a nothingness that stretched as far as there was space. There was no sand, nor sea, no waves, nor earth, nor heavens. And that space was a void that called to be filled, but its emptiness echoed with a deep and frozen silence. So it was that a land sprung up within that silence. It took the place of half the universe. It was a land called Filheim, or Land of Fog, and where it ended sprung another land where the air burned and blazed. This land was called Muspel. Where the regions met lay a great and profound void called the Gnungungap, and here a peaceful river flowed, softly spreading into the frosty depths of the void, where it froze layer upon layer until it filmed, formed a fundament, and it was here the heat from Muspel licked at the cold of Filheim until the energy they created spawned the great frost giant Ymir. Ymir was the greatest and first of all frost giants, and his part in the creation of the universe led the frost giants to believe that they should reign supreme on what he had made. Filheim had existed for many years, for many ages, long before our own earth was created. In the centre of a was a mighty fountain, and it was called Verelgamir, and from the, that great fountain all the rivers of the universe bubbled and stormed. There was another fountain called Elivagar, although some people believe that it is the same fountain with a different name, and from this bubbled up a poisonous mass which hardened into black eyes. Elivagar is the beginning of evil, for goodness can never be black. Muspel burned with eternal light, and her heat was guarded by the flame giant Sutru, who lashed at the air with his giant sabre, filling it with glittering sparks of pure heat. Sutru was the fiercest of the fire giants, who would one day make Muspel their home. The word Muspel means home of the destroyers of the world, and that description is both frightening and accurate, because the fire giants were the most terrifying there were. On the other side of the slowly filling chasm, Wilhelm lay in perpetual darkness, bathed in mist which circled and spun until all was masked. Here between these stark contrasts, Ymir grew, the personification of the frozen ocean, the product of chaos. Fire and ice met here, and it was these profound contrasts that created a phenomenon like no other, and this was life itself. In the chasm, 
Another form was created by the frozen river, where the sparks of Sutter's sabre caused the ice to drip and to thaw, and then, when they rested, allowed it to freeze once again. This form was Aldhumma, a cow who became known as the Nourisher. Her udders were swollen with rich, pure milk, and Ymir drank greedily from the four rivers which formed from them. Aldhumla was a vast creature, spreading across the space where the fire met the ice. Her legs were columns, and they held up the corners of space. Aldhumla the cow also needed sustenance, and so she licked at the rhinestones which had formed from the crusted ice, and from these stones she drew salt from the depths of the earth. Aldhumla licked continuously, and soon there appeared, under her thirsty tongue, the form of a god. On the first day, there appeared hair, and on the second, a head. And on the third day, the whole god was freed from the ice, and he stepped forward as Buri, also called the producer. Buri was beautiful. He had taken the golden flames of the fire, which gave him a warm, gilded glow, and from the frost and ice he had drawn a purity, a freshness that could never be matched. While Aldhumla licked, Ymir slept, sated by the warmth of her milk. Under his arms, the perspiration formed a son and a daughter, and his feet produced a giant called Thrudgamir, an evil frost giant, with six heads who went on to bear his own son, the giant Berglamir. These were the first race of frost giants. Buri himself had produced a son called Bor, which is another word for born, and as Buri and Bor became aware of the giant, an eternal battle was begun, one which to this day waged on all parts of earth and heaven. For giants represent evil in its many forms, and gods represent all that is good, and on that fateful day the fundamental conflict between them began, a cosmic battle which would create the world as we know it. Buri and Bor fought against the giants, but by the close of each day a stalemate existed. And so it was that Bor married the giantess Bestela, who was the daughter of Bolthorn, or the Thorn of Evil. Bestela was to give him three fine, strong sons, Odin, Vili, and V. And with the combined forces of these brave boys, Bor was able to destroy the giant Ymir. And as they slayed him, a tremendous flood burst forth from his body, covering the earth and all the evil beings who inhabited it with his rich blood. So, that was the creation myth of how the universe was created, and there's a few things I want to note about before we get started on how, or things that I've noticed in the news and coverage recently, that have kind of irritated me regarding the path that I follow. So the first thing I want to mention is the fact that they are specifying various forms of giants, including frost giants and fire giants. Now, I may be off base here, but I believe the giants altogether are known as Jotun, and it's less that they are giants, and I always treat the Jotun, while they are referred to frequently as giants, as nature spirits, hence why you have these spirits some of them represent frost, some of them represent fire. They're referred to, I believe, as giants because they exist as being stronger and greater than ourselves or greater than normal. They are forces of nature. 
Also, they referred to them as evil and they referred to the battle as good and evil. Again, from my own research into this, and I've done a variety of research, this is where Christianity has kind of, I don't want to say poisoned, but I will say influence our interpretations because realistically it was less a battle between good and evil and more a battle between the ordered lives of those who had sentiments, who the controlled life within the fence, which we'll get to in a later episode, and then the chaos of raw primal nature, which is typically represented by the Jotunar or the giants. So just a few things to bear in mind when we are talking about Norse paganism and the modern day interpretations of a lot of the Norse texts. The other thing I want to mention is please bear in mind also that we only have very limited information about the stories that they would tell. And I'll get into that in a later section. But basically Vikings or the Norse people were a clan system and each clan had its own skald. And they were the ones who were in charge along with the vulva, but primarily the skald of telling the stories of creation, telling the myths, telling the legends. And as you can imagine, each skald would probably have their own way of telling it. So these are just a few things I wanted to highlight before we got into the next section properly, which is about things I've been hearing about that have kind of irritated me, that have kind of bit my goat a bit. So, what's been biting my bum this week? Well, a lot of things. First of all, finally, and I hate to get political here, but finally we, the USA have got the um, Orange Cheeto-in-Chief out of office. They have hopefully someone who's going to be pretty sensible. I'm excited about that. However, I can't talk about this. And the good things without fo focusing on the issue that comes up frequently. And that's the thievery by white supremacists of symbology. And in this case, the one known as the QAnon Shaman, I think I'm saying their name properly, who goes prancing through capital with the Valkanut, Yggdrasil and Mjolnir tattooed all over them. Now, it's idiots like him that make me want to get a tattoo of something like that just so that I can know who I need to punch. Now, I'm not a violent person, but equally I don't believe that white supremacists need to be listened to. So let's talk a little bit about the thievery of white supremacists and they've not just stolen symbols from Norse paganism they also stole the swastika from I think it's Hinduism or Buddhism one of those two they stole so many sacred symbols and they just they don't understand so if you're a white supremacist and I hope you're not if you're a Volkish now if you knew Volkish listen carefully because 
Catholicism is not an accurate Norse pagan representation. If, however, you believe firmly that Norse paganism is only for straight, manly, masculine, white supremacist men, white is the only race, and the Norse and the Vikings were clearly white only, I think you need to do your research just a teeny tiny little bit more. Also, I'm sorry if you can hear dog noises, my dog is being very high maintenance at the minute. What do I mean by this? Well, Odin learned Seder magic. And for those who don't know what Seder magic is, Seder magic is um, magic that was traditionally a female-only magic. To practice it as someone who would be seen as male would be seen as irgi or unmanly. So if you think Odin was totally straight, then uh, and totally male presenting, well, there's one thing wrong. Second of all, Odin, and I say this with all respect before Odin gets mad at me. Odin is one of my deities, so I'm like, yeah, Odin, I'm saying this with all respect here. Odin is selfish. That's kind of accurate. But more importantly, Odin will do anything for knowledge. This is someone who cut out his eye and sacrificed his eye for knowledge. Removing your eye or having your eye removed is hecking painful. Not only that, for knowledge, he also hung for nine days from Yggdrasil or the world tree, pierced in the side by his spear. Again, to gain knowledge. Do you really think that he would be out here going, oh yeah, no, we only accept people of the same skin colour? I don't think so. Then we have Loki. Loki is a trickster. Loki shapeshifted into a female horse, apparently in season if we're if the myths are true, to let it lead away Svaldafari because of the fact that well, the gods didn't want to pay up because they made a stupid bargain and they didn't want to pay up. And he wasn't seen in Asgard for a while and when he eventually showed his face again, he had a baby horse. Yeah. So, Loki is a shapeshifter and apparently quite com comfortable himself with being seen as female, male, any mix in between. I'm going to get so hated for this. Loki is another of my deities. He doesn't particularly like being reminded of that aspect. And then you have the fact that there's not just the Aesir that were worshipped. There was the Vanir. The Vanir was a different tribe. There are numerous indications that they accepted immigration. And also the Vikings weren't just warriors. The Norse, Norse people were not just warriors. And they did not spend all their time going a Viking... To go a Viking was something you did. It was a job. It wasn't a full-time thing. They were also farmers, traders, crafters. You get the picture. So, basically, historical evidence and mythological evidence very firmly shows that if you're a white supremacist or if you think Norse paganism is all about white supremacy, there's a lot of proof that shows it isn't. But that's what's been biting my butt recently. That's what's been winding me up. 
As for what's making me happy, well, I've got a lot of crafting supplies. And being able to do arts and crafts always puts me in my happy place. So I'm quite excited to get back into that. I'm quite excited to have a little bit more time to do that properly as well. I've also found an enjoyment in arranging flowers. What can I say? Simple things. But that about sums this up. What about you? If you have any comments on what's been winding you up or what something you need to vent about or maybe something you're proud of yourself for because, hey, you deserve to feel proud of yourself. Achievements are good. Then do feel free to send an email in. The email will be in the show notes. You can also find it through my website, which is https semi, uh, colon forward slash forward slash deviateddroid.com. And I think that's about it for this section. I'll see you soon for talking about Arun. So, the rune I want to highlight today is an interesting one, because it's one that I don't have a sensation for. You may be expecting me to start with Fehu, the first rune of the Futhark, and the first it, first rune of the first it of the Futhark. But I'm actually not. I'm going to start with a rune that is often included in sets, and it's a blank rune. It's known as Odin's rune. It's meant to represent the unknown, but for me, and I believe for other people, it represents nothing. We don't get a sensation from it, and there's a story I've heard that may or may not be accurate, but I kind of feel like it is. So, the Futhark is only made up of 24 symbols, for want of a better term. They're split into three groups of eight, known as eight. So why is there a 25th rune? Now the story I've heard is that when the rune sets were being made, when they were brought back as a new old thing, so in the reconstructivist era, the manufacturers would only make tile sets in sets of 25. And so to make the 25th rune up, they included the blank tile and called it a new rune. Now there's no signs that I have seen that this rune actively exists. So I'm going to skip a bit and I'm going to talk about the rune that should be representing the unknown and that's Pioth. And there'll be a photo of Pioth on my Instagram page. Now Pioth in modern translations is seen as representing the game, a gambling sort of game. In reality I've always read it as the unknown, the unseen knowledge, knowledge you don't quite know about. And this is why I stress that you need to spend time, and I know I've only just started, but whenever someone asks me about reading runes, I always say spend time learning your set. So I'm going to um, grab my grimoire, my book of shadows, because in it I have my set meanings taken off, taken from a book. And I'm going to go to Pioth. Um, so you can hear the pages flicking, I'm sorry. So my notes under Pioth. Where is it? 
found it. Sorry about that. It takes me a bit of time to read. My handwriting is a mess. But yes, I always read it as you have no control over everything in your life, only your reactions. That's my own personal notes. But I generally read it as I say, as there's information that we don't know about yet. You're not aware of everything. Things are unknown. And there's a certain aspect of gambling in that if you take the choice, if you take a choice to make a move, you don't know what you're going to get out of it. And that's important to bear in mind. You don't know what you're going to get out of it. And this, as I say, this is kind of important because if you acknowledge that you are not going, you're not sure what you're going to get out of it, then you're fair, you're very aware of it. So, I'm reading the introduction to Norse divination by Cassandra Eason in a little bit of runes here. Pethro, or Pioth, the gambling cup. Strengths, symbol side up, unexpected good luck because of taking a chance. The re-emergence re of the real essential person you are inside, what really matters to you standing up for your beliefs. And the challenges is leaving everything to chance, believing you can't change the situation, therefore not trying to, an excessive risk taking and speculation. And um, this actually follows the um, same ruling that a lot of people do. However, it does go further because it, while it references the old Rome poems which talk of playing laughter in the beer hall for gambling and rune casting were sometimes one and the same in a joyous process, um, it also, when it goes to explain how you should read it when it appears in a reading, that you soon discover secret or unknown information that will be of great advantage. Value your real essential self and stick to your principles rather than trying to fit into the expectations of others. In other words, it doesn't just focus on the whole aspect of, well, this is a gambling one. You have to take a gamble or maybe you should be taking less gambles. You're not just getting lucky because you took a gamble. There was unseen information that maybe you didn't notice about when you took the choice. And maybe it'll never come to the surface. But the information is still unknown. And often when I get this when I'm doing my own reading, and I often do the full nine moon casting, which nine is a sacred number, it's a special number. Um, but when I do a nine moon casting and I get Pioth, whether it's in the present, which is near the middle, and I'll talk more about this in a YouTube video, whether Pioth is near the middle or whether it's towards the outside, I always read it as there is information that you may not be aware of yet. It may be revealed or it may not be. Be careful when you're making choices, especially if it comes out and it's a different orientation to normal. So, that said, I hope this look into why, for me personally, I don't count the blank rune, blank rune as a rune and why I'll take it out of any rune sets. And if I make my own rune sets, I don't include it. And the origins of Pioth, which is kind of jumping ahead a bit, so I'll be going further into Pioth properly in a later episode. But I hope it's helped. And this is it. This is the end of the episode. I hope you found it useful. Any comments, criticisms, anything you'd like to take up with me, do bear in mind. I'm a beginner myself. I'm very new to this. 
I've just got a lot of experience from the study side of things. So I would invite you to maybe drop me an email. You can email me at dsboywonder25 at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. And if you've enjoyed this episode, remember I'm releasing these on a weekly schedule, all being well. So keep being safe. Keep looking after yourself. Remember, wear a mask as long as COVID-19 is still out there. Get vaccinated. There's nothing harmful in the vaccines. And you know what? You're awesome. Don't let anyone tell you you're not. For now, bye.